Ahoy, mateys, and welcome to another episode of I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast. My name is Captain Eric, and we are continuing our sail through the second season of SpongeBob SquarePants. And I am proud to say that I have a special guest on today's episode. I spoke with Joey Weiser, who not only worked on the SpongeBob comics and has his own line of graphic novels through Oni Press, but he happens to also be the last, one of the last SpongeBob artists to be a part of Nickelodeon magazine before it closed down and then they transferred over to just making SpongeBob comics. Uh, so Joey and I watched the episode Gary Takes a Bath and had a wonderful conversation about his world in art, what he's currently got going on, his work in SpongeBob, and then of course we talk about the episode Gary Takes a Bath. But before we take a break, I do want to mention that today's episode is brought to you by uh, Running Scared Motion Pictures, and I want you to check out their TikTok channel at RSMP underscore. They just started putting out videos, and uh, go give them a like on TikTok. Go follow their stuff. I appreciate that. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we're going to meet up with Joey Weiser and watch Gary's Takes a Bath. Gary! There's a bomb strapped to my chest! It's going to explode in three seconds and let you take a bath! Please. Magic Conj, will I ever get to meet Tom Kenny? Maybe someday. Oh, so you're saying there's a chance. Okay, okay. Should I tell fans of the show how they can support us? Yes. Goofy Goobers, supporting the show is shockingly easier than catching a blue jellyfish. Right from our Anchor page, anchor.fm slash spongepod, you can find links to all of our social media and a support button if you happen to have a few extra clams. Also follow us on twitch.tv slash spongebobpodcast, where it's not only the official home to our sister show, Video Bob Game Pants, it's also where I stream live drawings of various Nickelodeon characters and host the opportunity for commissions and giveaways. Lastly, the official merchandise store is now open at redbubble.com slash people slash spongepod, where various designs will be uploaded in Inspired by our show, including our official logo, which is now available on a multitude of products like t-shirts, stickers, duvet covers, and even a shower curtain. This is a podcast by a fan for fans and will always be fan-driven. Any way you see fit on supporting our show is much appreciated. Thank you and enjoy. Hello, fancy French restaurant. I've got a naughty snail here who won't take a bath. What? Could you say that again? Slow down. It's like you're speaking some other language. One of the many facets of SpongeBob SquarePants, one of the many different avenues that Nickelodeon has decided to bring the the sponge uh, was not just your television to your movie screen to books to, uh, you know, other forms of entertainment, toys, 4D rides. They also brought SpongeBob to comics. And I am honored today to be talking to someone who had a hand in helping out with not only the SpongeBob comics, but it has an entire art world that I promise you, you will have a great time if you delve into. Uh, today, joining me to talk about Gary Takes a Bath is not only Joey Weiser. Thank you so much, Joey, for coming on today. Hey, yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, no problem. Uh, I, I, of course, was a fan of your art without even realizing who you were. Mm. And... Um, one of the nice things about diving into the you know, the back of SpongeBob and really getting to look at every artist on Twitter and and going down the rabbit hole of of what they do and what they draw on a day to day basis, like I have fallen in love with just art again. Oh, and cool. um, 
going back to the SpongeBob comics and coming across you, uh, it was I, I delved really hard into the world you created. And it just like you were doing a lot of cool stuff, stuff that I enjoy. And uh, man, you just do a lot of cool things out there. So the fact that you helped out with SpongeBob at all is is one cool thing. But I that's why I anybody should just go into this world of, of Ghost Hog and Dragon Racer and Merman and just this whole world you've created on your own. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you know, like I do these creator owned or, you know, you know, these things that I've created and and do my own work. But then it was always nice to have the SpongeBob uh, work as well, Uh, not just because it was a nice job, but because like uh, when I would be talking to just somebody new and they'd be like, what do you do? And I say, I make comics and they'd be like, what do you make? And I'd tell them about my books and you know, nine times out of 10, they hadn't heard of them, but then I could say, and I work on the SpongeBob comic book and they'd be like, Oh, <laughs> that's a <laughs> you real know that's, thing. That's always your hook right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. But I mean, even like I said, like the SpongeBob stuff was for me, um, diving into your work was a tip of the iceberg because, um, seeing the other, the other things that you've been able to create, uh, I, I got to imagine you've been drawing for, for a long time. I, I, I hate to assume, but uh, how did that start for you? Where where did this, where did this all begin for you, really? Yeah, sure. I mean, I have been drawing for as long as I can remember, and I think that um, my story is pretty similar to a lot of artists where, I, as I recall, when I was a little kid, everybody I knew drew, and we were all drawing in class or drawing you know, when we were hanging out and making up stories and stuff. And then one by one, kind of, I, I, I look back and I realize like eventually a lot of my other friends started finding other interests, but I was always still drawing and drawing and drawing and, and always loved comics and cartoons and, um, and yeah, just kind of kept at it. And then eventually went to an art school in Savannah, Georgia, where I majored in comics. Uh, sequential art was just the fancy word for comics <laughs> there. And actually, what is it? Sequential art? I've actually never heard of that. Mm-hmm. Like, even in all any of the art schools <laughs> I looked at after high school. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's pretty creative. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things like, you know, I think when they were trying to figure out different ways to talk about comics you know i think maybe around the same time that people were coming up with terms like graphic novels and things like that um sequential art is good because not only was i studying comics i was also studying like storyboarding and illustration and things like that that involve uh you know telling a story through art uh in a sequence (laughs) you know did, was that an easy gateway to to kind of connect with others in the in the field professionally as well? Oh yeah, definitely. You know, it's like it's hard for me to like guarantee. Like sometimes when people ask if I recommend going to art school or not, like it's hard for me to say like yes, you definitely should or no, you definitely shouldn't. But like I know in my case, a lot of the like other cartoonists who I still collaborate with or at least keep in touch with and promote each other's work are students that I went to school with or, um, you know, editors and things that I met through the school uh, from them, like, visiting and things like that. So it was definitely very beneficial in that way, um, and as well as in my personal life. Like, a lot of my friends are still people that I w- were cl- classmates of mine or, or like, the first time I ever went to a comic convention and showed off my work uh, as an artist, 
uh, rather than just as an attendee was with like oh, man. some, you know, classmates of mine. And, um, you know, and through that, I met lots of other cartoonists and stuff, too. And it's just like it's it's hard to know, you know, if I would have like been as savvy to know about doing that stuff if it hadn't been for some of my classmates, you know. How was that first convention for you? What was that experience like? It was very exciting. It was uh, in 2004, so uh, quite a, quite a ways away. <laughs> and um, yeah, it was the Small Press Expo, which is uh, called SPX uh, in Bethesda, Maryland. And I set up with a couple of my other classmates, and this was the first time that I had made uh, mini comics, like zines, like handmade uh, little uh, comics that I could sell. And I also, that show had an anthology, like a collection of short stories with lots of different people who were attending uh, that show, and I submitted to it, kind of figuring, well, I guess I should get in the habit of doing this kind of thing, and to my surprise, I got in, so it was like my first publication, my first time really presenting myself as an artist, and so yeah, that was a very uh, exciting show. <laughs> uh, I got to imagine that the, the just the kind of the initial jitters before going in and doing it. Definitely. Um, but you, you have to just meet good people, even if they don't know who you are. Or they just they come over and they see what you can do and they're just blown away. I, I, that's why, at least if I go to a con, I try to stop at every table just to see, like, hey, what do you do? Do I like any of this? And then just kind of scoot along. That's pretty much it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I a lot of times actually do kind of enjoy, um, you know, being behind a table and talking to people about my work because it's a lot easier for me to have those kinds of conversations when I just have the work out in front of me where people can look at it and see exactly what I do and, and see if it like hits them or not. So, um, yeah, I I do actually kind of like the, the act of tabling at conventions, even though it can be a grind, you know, at the, the end of day three or something, you're like, okay, I've talked to like, I don't even know how many people at this point, but like, uh, I do enjoy it because, um, like I said, it, it it has like a good starting point. Like, here's my work. <laughs> what do you think about it? You know. <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of it's kind of classic carnival barking in a way. You're just kind of going out there and and throwing it out to the biggest crowd possible. Like, hopefully, whoever mm-hmm. shows up to the con. Uh, I've noticed you have a a really consistent art style, uh, and a lot of the characters you have pretty much intertwine in each other's stories Hmm. have you been drawing these characters for like have these been characters you've had in a lot for a long time in your in your like your mind that you've just been drawing for a while are these more recent things that have just happened they're they're more recent um yeah the merman characters um probably i had around for a year or two before i um, started the books, um, and that really came from like kind of a uh, failed idea where I was gonna do. I was trying out this idea of comics starring like little kid versions of classic movie monsters, and yeah. that story didn't really like. I don't know. After doing like a little like a few stories with those characters, I decided I didn't really want to do that. But I did really like this character that was like a little kid version of the creature from the Black Lagoon, and he didn't look like merman but i kind of took that idea and ran with it and so yeah it's these ideas kind of like evolve and then while i was working on merman you know that was five books and that took me um i think about seven years to get all those books out 
Wow, that is that is a lot of dedication to that character. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And so, you know, in my sketchbooks, I would occasionally just doodle new ideas and stuff uh, that didn't have anything to do with Merman. And the Ghost Hog character came from that, where I was just kind of doodling and just, I don't even know why, but I drew this little ghost pig character, and I thought that they were fun. Um, and so I just kind of, like, put that in the back of my mind and said, okay, well, don't think about this too much right now because I have to work on these Merman books, but like maybe after that I can revisit this pig character and see if that's something I want to do. And that turned into Ghost Hog. And um, and then, yeah, and then Dragon Racer kind of came around the same time. time. I think when I was working on Ghost Hog, I just had to start kind of thinking about what I wanted to do next. And I came up with this dragon uh, that drives in like a race against other creatures and animals uh and um it just sounded fun to me you know and it came from liking like racing movies and things like that uh but and and when i kind of had that idea i realized that it could kind of exist in the same world as ghost hog and so i tied them together in that way yeah it 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 really at some points it reminds me of uh wacky racers mhm but but actually after like looking at the art more, I really get a Diddy Kong racing feel of of the presentation of the animals and all of their different <laughs> vehicles and whatnot. That's um, fun. I like that. And and I'm a I'm a sucker for cohesive worlds. Like that's that's a big thing, obviously, with Marvel and and other storytelling and mm-hmm. what you know what they're doing out there. So, um, the and one thing that you said I do want to point out uh, very early on. You you said when you started. Uh, the monster book with all of the young versions you you got pretty far before you decided to kind of stop right there yeah I drew maybe a 20 page mini comic that had had like two or three stories with those characters in it um is about what I did with those characters yeah and and that's I mean that's a lot mm-hmm. of work to be able to stop kind of cold and say all right i'm gonna kind of restart off of one jumping point like at least you were able to know i feel like some people uh go further before they're able to uh, finally realize like okay this isn't working out so that was like i'm glad you said that because a lot of people struggle with yeah it's hard it's hard to know because like making comics is a lot of work and sometimes it's less fun than others and it is hard to know when you're just kind of like um working on something and it's it's a bit of a drag just because you don't feel like drawing at that very moment or if you're just actually not really that interested in what you're working on and i think you just have to really like pay attention to yourself and your instincts and and know like if i keep kind of trying to think of new ideas and not feeling excited about it then that means uh that either something needs to change about this or it's just not going to work at all you know of spongebob how did how did that happen and come about for you yeah so that was um i had recently moved to athens georgia where i live now um and was just looking for work um because i had quit like a day job a non-art related day job and uh reached out to a friend of mine who's a cartoonist dave roman who is also at the time was an editor of the comics section in nickelodeon magazine I, I did notice that on your website you had you had worked your first project with Nickelodeon was was on that magazine right mm-hmm, that's right yeah. so I I asked Dave you know is there anything that you got for me and and he said well I don't have anything but this other editor there uh, Chris Duffy 
um, is looking for people to work on SpongeBob stories. And I was like, yeah, sure. I like SpongeBob, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> um, and uh, and yeah, and I, I like watched a bunch of SpongeBob to get kind of in the headspace and I pitched him a few ideas and I don't remember. I think maybe he took like one or two out of the three or four ideas that I had um, come up with. And uh, I was just writing the stories and they had other artists draw them and it was uh, seeming like it was going to be a really great uh, job. And then I get the, I get something published and I get, uh, my copy of that Nickelodeon magazine in the mail. And I'm very excited. And when I look at it, I notice in the, I don't remember top or bottom corner, it says our final issue. (laughs) And it was the last issue of Nickelodeon magazine. (laughs) I, (laughs) wow. I had no idea about that. That is wow. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) you still made it. That's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. So it was this weird, like, uh, excitement an and disappointment uh, at the same time. But then a few months later, uh, that editor, Chris Duffy, like reached out to anybody who had done SpongeBob comics in the past and let us know that they were going to start their very own SpongeBob comic book. Um, Which was smart. Yeah. Yeah. And so I had the opportunity again and, and I just started um, sending in ideas. And it was about that same hit rate. He'd take about half of the ideas that I would uh, send him. And um, after a while, um, he let me, uh, I, I was approved to start drawing some of my own comics too, but it was exciting to have other artists uh, work for my scripts too. But um, yeah, yeah, that was really cool. And, and um, uh, Steve Hillenberg, I never uh, spoke with him directly, but he did approve everything that came through the uh, comic books. He was actually pretty uh, involved uh, in the comics from what I understand. So it's pretty awesome to know that he did at least like see everything I was doing and put his stamp of approval on it. Uh, even if, uh, Chris was the, my main contact, uh, with that. And, um, yeah, and that was really exciting. And and that ran for several years until, uh, Bongo, the comics publisher that does the Simpsons that was distributing the SpongeBob comics ended up, uh, closing shop. And with that, the SpongeBob, that was not too, soon after or not too long after steve had passed away so i think just with all that kind of happening at once they decided to uh you know to stop making the spongebob comics too which was too bad but it was a it was a good run for sure several years yeah absolutely and and i gotta like there's still a world and a and a room for spongebob comics out there um one yeah, of the definitely. best magazines I ever had from Nickelodeon was entirely filled with different artists' interpretation of SpongeBob in comic form, mm. uh, letting them just completely go off the rails with design and choice <laughs> and everything. And as a kid, it was my favorite to read, you know, in breakfast and whatnot. Um, and I there's so much more room for that because everybody brings such a nice flavor to SpongeBob when they draw because it's it all comes from a place of joy, I imagine, something like that. Yeah, totally. And yeah, and that's, um, you know, Chris, uh, the the editor I was talking about, he, he would split those comic book issues to be about half and half on model, meaning like looking exactly like the show and off model artists that would draw just whatever wacky uh, art style they had, you know. And yeah, it's definitely a testament to the really great character designs in SpongeBob that you can recognize them instantly, even when, you know, Tony Millionaire or somebody with a really like crazy art style. 
Yeah, so I mean, some of those audit, uh, artists that have worked on some of those comics have gotten the characters really good to where it almost even sometimes looks like frames from the show, and that's cool and all. But I, I kind of I love seeing every other artist's interpretation of the characters and the show and mm-hmm. their expressions. You always get something fresh. I don't know from somebody just handling the character for a day. Totally, yeah. That was a that was a fun thing that I liked about that comic book was was seeing all the different interpretations, and and I never knew uh, who what artists I'd be would be drawing my scripts. I would just send in the scripts, and then um, uh, I'd get like images of the artwork, and then get the final issues in the mail. And so it was pretty exciting sometimes to to see if I got one of these guys that draws exactly like the show which is very impressive in its own right for sure uh, i can't do that <laughs> and then <laughs> and then or one of these artists that does their own thing and and uh does some pretty interesting stuff uh with those art styles yeah i've gotten well that um if i think i have maybe like two or three poses for each character that i can i can draw consistently a hundred percent on model nice but anytime i try to go out and i go you know, I want to do Squidward as something different than what I usually go with. It it looks kind of different, and then on my own, uh, <laughs> um, and it, it's always it's something like every day I pretty much have just drawn SpongeBob somewhere in some way, shape, or form. Um, and hey, I'm glad you got to experience that. I I hope that there is a return for SpongeBob comics. Um, but I also am glad that you are able to do your own thing. You have a pretty good relationship, I'm guessing, with Oni Press. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've published uh, seven of my books now at this point, which is really cool. And um, yeah, it's 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 good. Like you know, um, I I've worked with a few different editors there, and uh, they all have slightly different you know editing styles, but. Um, Oni Press is very good about like really wanting to honor the artist's visions and stuff. So um, if we have a disagreement, a lot of times we can come up to figure out something that we want to do with the story that um, that I'm happy with. You know, I, that, I mean, that's good to hear, and especially as an artist, you do kind of we're always willing to bend a little bit. But then mm-hmm. it's always nice to have the person above you meet you kind of in the middle and and find that always that central respect oh definitely yeah and they're really good at um you know i'm i can come up with my stories and think about what i want to draw and and all this stuff but they're really good at doing kind of the business side of things where they they you know figure out who it's best to like market it to and how to get it in front of like librarians or booksellers and how to get them to understand what the book is um, and figure out, uh, you know, if they'd like to stock it and stuff like that, uh, which is very important because I'm, you know, not super business minded. <laughs> I must admit, <laughs> I'm just, you know, trying to think of stuff that I think would be fun to read or fun to draw uh, when I'm creating my stories. Well, you've you've created you have a wonderful art style, a creative color palette. I, I absolutely adore it. So. Uh, like I said, everybody should definitely go check it out. Um, now, on back to SpongeBob, though, we did check out the episode Gary Takes a Bath, mm-hmm. uh, which has a very weird release schedule because the episode that precedes it, which was Shanghai, which was also a special called You Wish that aired years before this episode even premiered on Nickelodeon. Hmm. Um, so while 
Shanghai premiered in 2001. This first premiered on the Nicktoons Network in the United States on August 18th, 2002, and didn't premiere on the regular Nickelodeon channel until July 26th, 2003. So it pretty much almost two and a half years since its sister episode first premiered. Wow, did it air on the main network? It's crazy. Um, it, it's a, it's incredibly short. It's only six and a half minutes long. Um, of course, because the episode that precedes it has a lot of patchy the pirate segments and and kind of overextends. Mm-hmm. Um, this originally was a third season episode, but um, the last big thing is that this is the only episode of the entire series that just features Tom Kenny. There is not a single voice, even though there's a Mr. Krabs cameo. There is not a single other voice other than Tom Kenny. Uh, what what are your thoughts on this episode? What what do you think about it? Yeah, I thought it was really fun. It's um, it's one of those uh, kind of ideas that starts from almost kind of like writing a list of things that you can do, you know, come up with kind of one premise. And instead of really like there's not much of a story in this, it's more like a list of jokes. Of right, like, right things uh different things that uh spongebob's doing to try to get gary to take a bath and uh so yeah it's just really fun uh really funny you know what hit me the first time uh uh, the first time the other like i watched this episode a few days ago to to prepare and then watched before we recorded well also while we recorded too so three times um it hit me that the way that the writing style is for this episode and its length it kind of feels like it would be a short for for a movie you would see in theaters. Mm, like if you yeah. went to go see a Nickelodeon movie, this would be a short that precedes it because it's just it's incredibly short and it's just so simple of a concept that it plays. You know, it's an audience pleaser. Hmm. Yeah, and that and that works really well for Gary. I think uh, since you know <laughs> Gary doesn't speak besides meowing, but uh, so you can get a lot of like kind of visual gags and things like that. And, um, you know, a thing about Gary, I, I always really loved Gary and I love uh, writing for Gary because I had a cat and I had a lot of like cat material. Um, and that was something that um, the Chris Duffy kind of would have to occasionally remind me, like, now, remember, Gary's a little magical, too. He can kind of do stuff that you wouldn't expect a real uh, pet to be able to do. And so uh, I was definitely uh, laughing at that part where he's. Uh, SpongeBob's trying to get him in the bath, and then he almost gets him in there, and then Gary just kind of disappears and just, reappears uh, on the floor. one frame over, <laughs> that right next to him. Yeah, so good. <laughs> it's uh, it's weird because SpongeBob definitely, this episode shows it the best that SpongeBob has that relationship that I think everybody has with their pets, is that we, we all create internally our idea of the communication between mm. you and your animal. So when your animal kind of like meows back, you tend to just come up with what they would have said there and respond. And SpongeBob does that a lot here. And it's just funny because I'm like, everybody does that. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. There's a there's a, a few uh, scenes of him like having pretty elaborate conversations <laughs> with Gary and Gary just kind of meowing back to him. <laughs> now, funny. as far as the notes from that, that is interesting. The notes from from Chris Duffy were all pretty much you said approved from Nickelodeon, Steven Hillenberg and whatnot. When it came to Gary, did they ever say like he was fully aware of what was going on? Like he's the smart, like he is the smartest one in the room. Mm, I didn't hear that specifically. 
um, yeah, I think that the really the kind of biggest note that I ever remember getting is what I said, where it was like, you know, Gary is um, a pet, but can do things, uh, you know, it is kind of magical in a way where he, he can do things that you wouldn't expect a regular pet to do. Um, but that, um, you know, in the world of SpongeBob, people don't always necessarily acknowledge that, you know, <laughs> right, say, right. It's weird that you could do this thing, uh, you know, and, um, yeah. And, and there's also kind of different degrees, uh, with which like Gary is slimy or Gary is cuddly or, you know, and things like that. Um, I was pretty shocked in this one. Uh, there's a moment where he gets like splatted against the wall and his shell shatters into several pieces. Cause I, I don't think I had ever, uh, even thought to see Gary without his uh, iconic swirly shell. <laughs> yeah, it's you a know? it's a little sprinkle of dark humor in there, and they also had you know a few adult jokes, um, mm-hmm. some very earlier Nickelodeon kind of adult jokes that uh, a bit shocking. It's like <laughs> the I mean, let's be real here. The soap one was pretty right on the nose. I'm I'm surprised that that was allowed. <laughs> it's one of those things that was like kids don't know what it means, and it's a, a kind of thing where I, I would occasionally i think when i was a kid i knew that that was a joke but i didn't know what it meant you know <laughs> right like who that is that is a, such a funny joke his wink and the smile and everything like who who's not gonna laugh at that are they you know um uh, yeah that's the thing i like about uh old nickelodeon it's a, it's a little it's a little grimy <laughs> you know it's a little dirty yeah, the the dirt they they cleaned it up, but it's weird. It mm. came from people that grew up with that kind of dirt too. The ones who laughed at Tom and Jerry, but then will say that that kind of violence and cartoons isn't allowed these days. And it's like, mm. kid, kid, you're you're kind of, um, kids are smarter than than you think they are. And I've worked with kids for several years of various ages, and they understand that. They get it. Mm-hmm. I I probably like, one of my proudest moments that I can remember as a teacher was uh, I showed like preschool to second grade age kids uh, Hey Arnold's Christmas special. And yeah, they didn't really care about it until Mr. Wynn started talking about the war. And the mm. second they were able to see the second there was just fire and a soldier on screen and things got serious all attention from that point on was on that Christmas special. Wow, yeah. So kids can handle a little bit of a little bit of seriousness and I, they can also understand that you shouldn't hit people with a frying pan. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, you know, I mean, pulling it back to my experience working on the comic, at the SpongeBob comic, like that was a bit of advice I got uh pretty early on was like uh go ahead and like you know, give us your most wild, crazy ideas and we can tell you to dial it back. And it's a lot easier to work with that rather than you holding yourself back and us not even having something to work with, you know? That's really smart of them. Mm -hmm. Wow. And so I think that, and I do think that that really does kind of reflect at least the Nickelodeon that I remember, the sort of Nicktoons, uh, uh, early Nicktoons era, um, you know, SpongeBob, uh, to give my age away a little bit, SpongeBob was when I was in high school. So um, I thought of it a bit more as my younger sister's kind of generation of shows. But like, so I kind of grew up with the Rocco's Modern Life and and Doug and the Ren and Stimpy and all that stuff. Right. And so, right. you know, I do. Yeah, I 
I do remember thinking it was cool that like, you know, Nickelodeon was all slime and, and grossness and all that stuff. And I'm sure uh, what was happening behind the scenes was even more outrageous, <laughs> but they had to sort of figure out what they, you know, could get away with uh, on TV and what would be right for kids and what would be, you know, acceptable for uh, a par- for parents, even if they were maybe a little disapproving. <laughs> um, and that's what was made it fun as a kid. Yeah, I have my my absolute my best friend in the world. His parents, uh, uh, he was one of four brothers, and I remember when we first started talking. This was maybe about like 1995, uh, in the third grade, uh, and he no, actually it was then 96. Then uh, his parents did not let them watch Nickelodeon at all. Oh, like yeah. they were they were super you know against it, and eventually, like within two or three years, they had laxed to an incredible degree like to the other direction <laughs> but like for that first it like blew my mind that there were parents out there who thought that nickelodeon like this is inappropriate really mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh now just one last question about your time with spongebob with all of the notes and kind of you got to see that behind the curtain a little bit of that world and learn about characters of maybe things that the fans don't outright get to hear Hmm. do you have any surprising ones that really caught you off guard yeah you know a thing that i was kind of surprised to learn about and i it makes more sense uh after i learned that um steve hillenberg had like experience in marine biology and stuff is that uh, there were a lot of hard and fast rules about um the characters regarding their kind of like uh, physiology. Like, uh, I remember I turned in a script with, I, my scripts were actually like doodles, uh, cause I just think visually. And so I, I drew S- Squidward with this big toothy smile and I heard back, uh, oh, Squidward doesn't have teeth, um, because squids don't actually have teeth. And so, uh, that's just one of, uh, Hillenberg's rules. And I also kind of was told at one point, Steve doesn't love jokes where SpongeBob's compared to a household sponge. Like they get through a little bit. They're, they they arguably were pretty heavy in this one short that we just watched, actually. But uh, that they try to kind of stay away from that because they maybe it's a little too easy, but also maybe that um, it, it was important to say that like SpongeBob is an undersea sponge, not a sponge that you would buy at a uh, grocery store, you know. <laughs> I mean, they they also have the episode uh, with Hans, uh, the Suds episode, where he is pretty much used as a kitchen yeah. sponge, and and then he's <laughs> been an actual kitchen sponge many times. Uh, that that is surprising that they would kind of push away from that, but he does live under the ocean, so it is fair. <laughs> Maybe it was just the kind of thing where they'd seen that joke so many times that they were just kind of like, okay, enough with the sponge stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that is completely valid completely valid who knows <laughs> yeah yeah um now do you still keep up with spongebob or do you have you just kind of kept it in the background a little bit more yeah it's i i would say it's more of a background thing admittedly um yeah i i um i like spongebob i've always thought that it was like one of the better cartoons and it's it's pretty amazing to me uh, that it has lasted, uh, you know, um, this long as far as like in the public consciousness and stuff without really any breaks, uh, which is incredible. But um, but yeah, I'm not watching it on a regular basis or anything like that. Uh, no, I yeah, I 
I have kind of I fell off the wagon a while ago and kind of one of the purposes of this show was to almost force myself to watch it through. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got to I got to say newer stuff I've heard has as kind of the quality has drastically improved to a to a more creative level. So um, but but what how does it feel going back to this? Is this a classic episode to you or do you consider when did you first watch this episode? Oh gosh, I don't know. I, I it seemed familiar to me, but it was kind of hazy because yeah, I probably saw it when it was on TV. You know, um, maybe new or or in uh, early reruns or something. But um, yeah, uh, it seemed like yeah, it seemed like vaguely familiar to me. But I couldn't have you know told you off the top of my head any of the specific jokes or anything like that. Um, but so, at least yeah. when you at least when you watch this, this feels like does this nostalgic to you in some regards? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. It takes me back. And, um, you know, and I love it. I, I do. I do like, yeah, like I said, I do still really like SpongeBob. I think the last like kind of new SpongeBob thing I saw was the the movie um, that somewhat, you know, this is several years back now, but the one where they come on land and it's and it becomes the, uh, you know, um, uh, sponge out of water. Yes, that yes. one. And which was exciting to me. Like I said, I went to college in Savannah and those live action scenes were filmed in Savannah. So I could be like, oh, I know that street uh, and things like that. Did you recognize anything? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. They replaced a lot of the signage, I think, maybe digitally um, so that they weren't showing actual businesses. Um, but um, they they the big car chase is down that uh, kind of main uh, street where a lot of uh, restaurants and stuff are. Uh, where I would hang out quite a lot uh, when I went. To that's college. actually pretty exciting. That's yeah. a, that's a pretty cool little tidbit. Next time you're you're out there dining around and you're like, hey, this is where SpongeBob was. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, well, I yeah, I would even say some of the newer stuff. Uh, I the newest movie uh, is I would say is worth a watch. The the Camp Coral spinoff has some moments I would say are worth watching, and um, there have been some recent episodes I would say are worth giving a shot. So. Uh, I would say it's worth for you to jump back into this world, um, but I appreciate you jumping in with me today. Yeah, it was fun, and it did kind of <laughs> make me want to watch uh, more SpongeBob stuff, so I'll uh, see what's out there. Hey, there you go. Uh, I, I got to say, I got to point out, you have an amazingly um, uh, put-out website. Uh, exploring it was an absolute blast, so I'm going to have that in the description of, of the podcast in both audio and video form, so... Um, is there anything that you would like to plug, sir? Great. Yeah, sure. Um, people can follow me on Twitter at Joey Weiser or Joey Weiser Comics on Instagram. Uh, Instagram's a bit more focused, uh, just art and stuff relating to my career as a cartoonist. My Insta- uh, my Twitter is a little bit more all over the place where I'm just talking about whatever movies and cartoons and things I'm watching. Uh, but uh, I'm also promoting my work there. Um, and yeah, please look out for Dragon Racer. That's my newest graphic novel. Just uh, came out in June, and um, and it's a self-contained book. It's got some of the characters from Ghost Hog, but you can pick up Dragon Racer and read it without reading Ghost Hog, or you can pick them both up. Um, yeah, check out my website um, for you know previews for all my books and a few like full short comics that you can read and examples of my illustrations and stuff. And uh, yeah, I'd really appreciate it. Yeah, and and uh, Dragon Racer did, is the uh, Oni Press put that out, correct? Yep, yep. So I, oh, what were you saying? 
Oh yeah, I was just saying it's uh, it's available wherever you get books because yeah, um, you know Oni Press has that distributed through Simon and Schuster. So um, wherever you prefer to buy books, if you want to buy a signed copy, I might as well say you can you can um, order that from Avid Bookshop A V I D. Um, that's the local bookshop here in Athens where I live. And if you make a note uh, letting them know that you'd like a signed copy, they'll get in touch with me. And before they send it to you, I'll come in and uh, do a little drawing and sign my name and stuff in it for you. Awesome. That's that's great to hear. Well, well, Joey, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, you're welcome on any time again. It was lovely to talk with you, and I hope I hope everything goes well for you. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Magic Conj, will I ever get to meet Tom Kenny? Maybe someday. Oh, so you're saying there's a chance. Okay, okay. Should I tell fans of the show how they can support us? Yes. Goofy Goobers, supporting the show is shockingly easier than catching a blue jellyfish. Right from our Anchor page, anchor.fm slash spongepod, you can find links to all of our social media and a support button if you happen to have a few extra clams. Also follow us on twitch.tv slash spongebobpodcast, where it's not only the official home to our sister show, Video Bob Game Pants, it's also where I stream live drawings of various Nickelodeon characters and host the opportunity for commissions and giveaways. Lastly, the official merchandise store is now open at redbubble.com slash people slash spongepod, where various designs will be uploaded in Inspired by our show, including our official logo, which is now available on a multitude of products like t-shirts, stickers, duvet covers, and even a shower curtain. This is a podcast by a fan for fans and will always be fan-driven. Any way you see fit on supporting our show is much appreciated. Thank you and enjoy. <laughs>